Welcome to the next edition of Urban Dharma, the podcast, where suffering is optional. This is Reverend Kusler from downtown Los Angeles speaking to you from the International Buddhist Meditation Center. The podcast you're about to hear is a talk I gave yesterday to chaplains at the UCLA Medical Center in Santa Monica. It's 20 minutes or so of an hour and a half talk, but this, these 20 minutes are devoted to Buddhist patient health care and end-of-life issues. I hope you find it useful and informative. On my website, kusla.org, there's a link which will take you to a page I put together that has many articles and ebooks, all for free download, on death and dying and good health from a Buddhist perspective. So please visit kusla.org and click on that link. You'll find a lot of useful information there. Also on urbandharma.org, I put together a page called A Buddhist Approach to Patient Healthcare, which goes into what I talked about yesterday, but goes into it in greater detail. Um, so with those two resources in mind, here is the talk I gave yesterday to the chaplains at the UCLA Medical Center. can see if someone is really sick and someone is dying and the meditator goes through this whole sort of process of you know impermanence and unsatisfactoriness and, and not self and applies it to themselves well then they'd have to say at some point who's dying who's sick is there anybody there who can be sick is there any sickness that exists independently out there am I a victim hmm so, having laid the foundation now to what I'm about to say, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit now about Buddhist patient care and how I approach it. And I find one of the problems uh, with being sick or dying is that we feel like a victim. It shouldn't happen to us. I have a friend named Mary, and Mary works in a hospice in Northern California. And in one day she lost five patients. Now, you might think, well, you know, they're in a hospice, though. So, you know, it's not unusual to lose patients in a hospice. But she said the miracle was not one of the patients thought today was the day. <laughs> and ain't that the truth? When we all get up this morning, do we think today was today? You know? And if we did think today was today, would we do things a little differently with our last day on earth? Do we have some issues that we needed to sort of, you know, Resolve and close up. Maybe send that last payment off, you know. <laughs> so there wouldn't be any hard feelings. Or maybe not send the last payment off if this is the last day. Or just go up to the credit line. <laughs> just enjoy all those things we think we own and then die. So, so when I see you know, a patient, I, I'm thinking, okay, my job is to uh, not have them be a victim, but have them be a victor. My job is really to give them something to do. And Buddhism, for me, more than anything else, is not being a Buddhist, but it's doing Buddhism. It's not about who we are, it's about what we do. So I need to give the Buddhist patient something to do. And the first thing I need to give the Buddhist patient is a reason why they're not a victim. And we're oftentimes a victim because we can see one thing 
that caused our dilemma. Now, what's interesting about the tsunami and maybe even the hurricane that hit New Orleans is religious people came out and said, Buddhist person said, very important Buddhist person said it was their karma. That's why it happened. And I heard a Christian minister say it was their sin. And that's why it happened. Now, I disagree with both of those. Because in Buddhism, it never happens because of one thing. It never happens because of karma, and we don't have sin. But if we did, and we had a divine being, that wouldn't be the, the only reason as well. So in early Buddhism, we find the five cosmic reasons why stuff happens. So my job, first of all, is to, is to allow them to sort of reflect on the five reasons stuff happens. The first reason stuff happens is natural cause. Earthquakes and floods, gravity. These are sort of like natural things that occur because of, you know, um, planets and the universe and uh, orbits and the ever-changing climate we live in. You know, so, okay, so can we blame the hurricane? Did the hurricane intend to kill us? Did the hurricane intend to take our home from us or our livelihood from us? Well, we, we can't really say the hurricane or the earthquake has any intention at all. It's a natural cause and consequence of living on the earth. So, so one of the reasons stuff happens is because of natural causes. The second reason stuff happens, according to Buddhism, is because of genes and chromosomes, or biological makeup. Some people may be prone to certain types of cancer because of their genes and chromosomes. Some people may be, you know, programmed to die young or to live to be rather old. Some people, you know, are because of genes and chromosomes may, you know, um, get Alzheimer's may, and may not. We don't know, but there's, you know, the, the nurture and nature aspect of, of this biological organism we call ourselves. And so Buddhism, early Buddhism in particular, would say that the first two reasons stuff happens is because of natural cause and because of biology. Now, the third reason stuff happens is because of karma. And this is sort of the ethical cause and consequence, the moral aspect of why stuff happens. If I had been more skillful, if I hadn't taken that last drink, I might not have gotten into the accident, and now I have a DUI on my record. So we could apply the sort of moral aspects of karma, cause and consequence, to why stuff happens, too. That... So the car accident may not have been biological, it may not have been natural, it may have been simply we were stupid and did something dumb and those were the consequences of our stupidity. So that's the third reason stuff happens. The fourth reason stuff happens is because of religion. In our case, we call it Dharma. But our religious practice changes why things happen in our life. So we have certain things that we do to make things happen in a good way. We might chant or meditate or, you know, have devotion towards the Buddha or the Bodhisattvas. And that allows our life to change in a positive way. So every religious practice, according to Buddhism, does change the way we think, does change what we say, and does change what we do. So it affects our life. The fourth or the fifth and final reason why stuff happens according to this model is because of mind. Our mind creates a lot of stuff. Our mind can take a neutral situation and turn it into the biggest drama of our life. 
And because of our mind, we might say and do something that would be unskillful and would have consequences as well. So when a Buddhist patient ends up in the hospital, some of those five reasons, not all of them, and not only one, are the reason they're there. And for me, that allows them not to feel like a victim. That in some cases, there's nothing I can do about the hurricane. There's some cases nothing I can do about my genes and chromosomes. There may be something I could have done about my karma. There may be something I could have done about my, my uh, religious practice. And when it comes to my mind, well, do I need counseling? And how long does that take? You know, should I have seen the signs arising? Or could my religious practice have affected my mind in a certain way? Could my karma have affected my mind? You know. So now the patient has this to work with. Okay, so it's not one thing. That's not why you're here. Is the patient going to get better or is the patient going to die? Only two ways you can go. Once you get sick, you only got two options. Getting better or you're going to die. If the patient is going to get better, the choices they make directly affect their health. And the Buddhist practice, more than anything else, is designed to give them clarity and awareness of their present moment situation. So, what would the Buddhist monk or nun do for the Buddhist patient? Encourage them to practice. This opportunity that they have is an opportunity to see the reality of their life in this very present moment. And if they can come to a place of balance and equanimity, giving up the pleasure, giving up the pain, giving up the happiness, giving up the sadness, they can look with even a greater sense of clarity at their situation and perhaps make good choices based on information from the experts. You guys, the doctors and the nurses, you know, all the healthcare professionals are there to share advice, to give them options, and now the Buddhist patient has to choose and decide for them what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And if it's based on clarity, if it's based on uh, uh, a deeper understanding of the existential reality of being a human being, those choices may be more skillful. If the patient isn't going to live, if the patient is going to die, we need, as a Buddhist clergy, to encourage them to die well. Because we have to die in order to live again. So our death is not a failure, according to Buddhism. Our death is simply part of the process of rebirth. Is there a way a Buddhist patient can die well? Yes, and especially in, in Tenzin Kacho's tradition, they have something called the Tibetan Book of the Dead and the Bardo system, and the way the consciousness starts to sort of evaporate and fall apart in the different levels of death and the different levels of rebirth, too. So we can direct our consciousness we can direct our rebirth consciousness through our practice as a Buddhist. Now, there are Buddhists who seek other power. They, they don't want to do it themselves. They don't feel they can do it themselves. And in Buddhism, we have that option as well. We have other power. In fact, there's one bodhisattva called Amitabha, the Buddha of the Pure Land. And it said, you don't need to practice uh, meditation. You don't need to read the Dharma study the hundred books we have that describes what the Buddha said in psychology. You simply need to have faith, vow, and devotion in Amitabha, 
And when you die, he will personally come down and escort you to his heaven realm, the pure land. And in his heaven realm, all things speak the Dharma. And you are guaranteed to achieve nirvana in his heaven realm. And you don't need to be literate. You simply need to recite his name. And if his name is the last thought in this lifetime, you will be reborn in his heaven realm. The last thought of this lifetime for a Buddhist is the first thought of the next lifetime. We do not want to have a thought of lust or hatred. We don't want to have that thought of greed or delusion. We want to have a thought of, of love and compassion, of generosity and wisdom. So our practice is designed to transform our consciousness in that way. And chances are good if we've had a practice before we came into the hospital, and chances are good if we're practicing in the hospital, that our last thought will be a skillful one, and our rebirth will be a good one. So the monk or the nun who comes into the room of the Buddhist patient is really a cheerleader directing them in how to practice. And if they're unconscious and can't practice themselves, the monk or nun does their practice for them through recitation through blessings, through the sharing of merit. And it's said that even if a patient is unconscious, they still have hearing. Their hearing consciousness still works. So oftentimes you might see in a Buddhist room, monks and nuns, around the bed chanting, uploading the important information necessary for good rebirth through the hearing consciousness. Um... Let me just share with you something I found online. I, uh, this is from the University of Virginia Healthcare System. And this is what they uh, uh, say about uh, chaplains dealing with Buddhist patients. Uh, first of all, an overview of health and illness. The goal of Buddhist practice is, develop, is to develop the mind to its fullest potential, which involves the perfection of compassion and wisdom. Spiritual well-being involves developing a compassionate mind and working with the suffering of illness and death in a maximally optimal way. Buddhist clergy, as well as lay practitioners, are available to assist those who are interested in these practices. Birth. Buddhists believe in rebirth. In accordance with this belief, human birth is viewed as the beginning of a highly precious opportunity. Human birth is unique in that it is a rare opportunity <clears throat> for the complete development of the mind and the practice of compassion, abortion, and birth control. Buddhists believe that, the conception, that conception occurs when consciousness enters a fertilized egg. This is considered the beginning of life, and it is regarded as killing if the life of the future person is aborted after that point. Birth control that prevents conception is acceptable. Death. The time of death is extremely important to a Buddhist since this is a transition point to the next life. Buddhists devote considerable religious practice to preparing for death. It is very important for everything possible to be done to provide as much peace and quiet for the dying person. For the Buddhist, death is a series of stages involving disintegration of physical elements into more and more subtle elements until finally the consciousness leaves the body. The more composed and calm the mind is at death, the greater the opportunity for a better rebirth. Prayers are said for the person who is dying, and sometimes a special text 
is read to the dying person. After death. Once all the stages of death have occurred, some Buddhists believe the consciousness enters a bardo, or an intermediary spirit body, which is the precursor to the next life. The consciousness may remain in this intermediary form a very brief time, or up to 49 days, before the new life is begun. Immediately following signs of physical death, Buddhists believe that it is best to keep the body in a peaceful state. Traditionally, the body is taken to the home, and for a period of three days or so, the body is not, not touched and extensive prayers are said. This facilitates the process of the person's consciousness letting go of its prior body and life and of all its attachments and more easily moving to the next. Bereavement. At the time of and following the death of a loved one, Particularly in the first 49 days, prayers are said for the person to achieve a most auspicious rebirth. Buddhists also meditate on the truth of impermanence, a key Buddhist teaching, as a precious loved one leaves this life. Dietary regulations. Within various branches of Buddhism, there are vegetarians as well as non-vegetarians. Some branches have strict dietary regulations, while others have few. Personal devotions. Buddhist devotions involve verbal prayers, mantra repetition, analytical meditations, as well as a variety of other meditation practices. Religious objects. Common religious objects involve prayer beads and images of Shakyamuni Buddha, as well as other Buddhist deities. Other religious objects are utilized for specific meditation practices. Special care of women. While men and women are viewed as equals in Buddhist philosophy, mothers are regarded as even more important than fathers due to their primary role in bringing children into the world and traditionally taking care of them. Thus, when a mother is sick, special kindness is shown towards her. Holiday observances. The major Buddhist holy day of the year is Vesak, which is the observance of Shakyamuni Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and Parinirvana. This holiday falls on the full moon day of May. It varies from year to year as it is determined by a lunar calendar. In observance, some Buddhists fast for part or all of this day. Bioethical decision-making. While Buddhists believe that it is good to continue living as long as possible, it is not believed that this should be done under all circumstances. For example, Life support machines are not believed to be helpful if the person's mind is no longer alert. Having an alert mind and not being in excessive pain are the two primary factors that affect a Buddhist decision regarding the appropriate time of death. Once the conditions are quite difficult, it is believed that it is better to die. Allowing the person to die in a natural, peaceful manner is considered more essential. Privacy and Space a quiet and peaceful atmosphere is most beneficial when one is sick or dying. This allows for the sick person to rest better, as well as to practice meditation and prayer. Visitors, connecting with the community, maintaining a calm and peaceful atmosphere for the sick person is the essential aspect. Ethnic, language, and cultural sensitivity. Maintaining a positive, caring attitude when interacting with the patient is the traditional cultural norm. I'll give that to you, okay? Thank you. And uh, so this was like <clears throat> really a lot of stuff. 
And, uh, and so um, uh, you may not even have any questions because you don't can't figure out what the answer might be or why it would be necessary at this point. But what I, what I hope to, to share with you today was the fact that um, Buddhism is unique, like all religions. Uh, and there are, there are ways that chaplains need to approach a Buddhist patient that may be different from approaching a Christian patient or a Muslim patient or a Jewish patient or a Hindu patient or whatever. That, that uh, I would encourage you, um, in fact, not even to pray for the patient in front of them, but if you feel a need or desire to pray for them, uh, pray for them out of their sight so as not to confuse them. Uh, and some people say, well, how do you approach a Buddhist patient? You know, how do you know what kind of Buddhist they are? Well, I ask them, what kind of Buddhism do you practice? What culture do they come from? If, if they're not a Westerner, uh, you know, are, are they a Thai or Chinese or Japanese? And if that be the case, I work very hard on finding somebody from their cultural Buddhism to come and visit them. Because it's been my experience when somebody is sick or dying, they want to hear their own language. They don't want to have to translate. They want to have someone who understands their culture so they don't have to translate again and, um, and be sensitive to the issues of that person. If they're a Westerner, I feel more than comfortable going in and speaking to them about Buddhism because I was born here and I have um, some of those cultural reference points that might be useful in giving meaning to the experience of being sick or to the experience of dying. But each culture has their own reference points, don't they? So for a Buddhist patient, it can be sort of tricky. So, you know, so I find out what culture they come from, what kind of Buddhism they practice. Now, even if they're Thai Buddhist, there are many kinds of Thai Buddhism. They're not all the same. So do they have, you know, like I guess, Methodists and Lutherans, different kinds of Methodists, different kinds of Lutherans. And a lot of Lutherans think they have the best kind of Lutheran Christianity, you know, and uh, a lot of Buddhists think their Buddhism is the best seems to be part of being human. So I find out what they need, and then I go and see if I can get it for them. It's all about the patient for me. They're in charge. What do they need? How can I make their life better? Or how can I make their death better? What do they need from me? And if I listen carefully, I'll hear what they need from me. Even if they can't put it into... Um, uh, as a sentence or a paragraph. And I'm sure you all know, as you walk into the room, sometimes you simply need just to sit and listen because the patient has something to say. And none of the other healthcare professionals had the time or the inclination to sit down and listen. And so as a chaplain, it seems in some cases we have time on our side and um, we can just simply sit and be present with them. And I find sometimes, if permission is given, um, simply a touch, another human being touching someone, that connection has been established, that they're not in this alone, that we all have to go through this. They're not the only one who's ever been sick. They're not the only one who's ever had to die. We all have to face this. And so, how can I help you face yours? How can you help me face mine? When, when I'm not different than the patient is, I, I'm not excused from that, <laughs> from getting sick or dying. So as I approach the patient, I, I try to get my mindset in place before I go into the room. 
Uh, if I go into and speak at a, a public high school about Buddhism, I get my mindset. You know, okay, teenagers, um, keep it entertaining. But now, uh, we're talking serious stuff. There's, there's nothing fun about being sick, as far as I can tell. Nothing fun about dying. So this is the big deal. This is, this is what all that religious practice is about. This is when the payoff comes. This is when the merit is spent. So how am I going to help them spend their merit correctly and practice correctly and come to a place of acceptance with the way things are? That's tough. So I listen, I look, and I feel. Hopefully with mind and heart. If it's only mind, I may be insensitive. If it's only heart, I may not have enough clarity to be useful. So I like Well, that does it for this podcast. I hope you found my presentation on a Buddhist approach to patient health care interesting and informative. Please remember there are other resources on my websites, kusala.org and urbandharma.org, that you can access. And, uh, and I'd like to leave you with this quote until the next podcast. One of my favorite quotes, the author is unknown, goes like this. Good health is simply the slowest way a human being can die. Until next time, be happy, be peaceful, and most of all, be free from suffering.